www.ghostbusters.com. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Longhorns inbound. Bishop to Carr. Now he'll fire the three and connect. Marcus behind the Bishop screen. Drains the three-pointer for his first bucket of the evening. Into the front court. Allen racing from left to right toward the top of the arc. Picks up the dribble. Needs help. Locates Jabari Rice. Now the Bishop working on Caleb Boone this time. Backs, spins, turns, goes reverse side and does it again. Different defender gets the bucket. Timeout Oklahoma State. As the Longhorns now on an 8-0 run have pushed the margin out to eight at 14-6 on the baseline. It's inbounded to Bishop right back to Carr for three. It's there. Excellent inbounds play. Marcus back-to-back threes. The Longhorns on an 11-0 run. Lead by 11, 17-6. Carr on the left side. Oklahoma State with a zone look for the first time. A 2-3. Carr, Cunningham. He'll shoot over to three. Good! Brock shooting over the zone. Cunningham knocks down the three ball. Texas up seven, 27-20. Into the front court. Jabari, top of the arc. Off to Carr, right side. Trying to scoot past Newton. Does! High off the glass. He scores with a foul! Boy, you can just see the look in Marcus' eyes. He knew he could... Turn on the Jets, get past Newton, went high off the glass to get the bucket and won. Timmy trying to drive to the hoop, cut off by John Michael Wright. Out to the Sioux. He thought about a long three, passed on it. Now to Allen. Timmy working in the paint, squares up, foul, gets the bucket and won. Boy, did he square his body to the hoop and got the foul on John Michael Wright as he got the friendly roll in for the bucket. John Michael Wright on the dribble, swings it left side, Avery Anderson guarded by Tyrese Hunter, trying to circle around him, gives a nice pass underneath, but the suit blocks the shot, and that's got to be a tie-up, it is, and the Longhorns have it on the arrow, what a great job by DeSue, got up, blocked the shot of Tyreek Smith, and pulled him and the ball down to the floor for the tie-up, Carr on the dribble, Marcus to the right side with it. Sends it in the corner. Rice, a three, and it's good. Jabari Rice has hit two big threes hit tonight. Now in the corner to Allen. Allen trying to back his way down. Ten on the shot clock. Draws a double team. In some trouble. Sends it out to Cunningham. He'll fire straight on three. Good! How about Brock? Hits another big three. Texas up 11, 66-55. Tyrese back toward the top of the arc. Still on the dribble. Longhorns can take a little more time off the clock. Now now to Cunningham. Wants another three. Has another three! <laughs> Brock, 13 points, three big threes for Cunningham. Longhorns match their largest lead up 13 at 80-67. You're seeing Mike Boynton say no more. There's three seconds difference between the game and shot clock, but the Longhorns are going to get the win here tonight. They're going to sweep Oklahoma State. Texas will go to 17 and three overall and six and two in Big 12 conference play. Final score tonight from here at Moody Center in Austin. The Texas Longhorns, 89, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys, 75. You know, technically, that buzzer you heard in the background was actually the shot clock buzzer. There was three seconds difference between the game clock and the shot clock at the end. But by then, the end had already been decided. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM twelve sixty, where we're live local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Waite. Thanks for joining us this morning. Jeff Howe will be along shortly. Our producer, Cameron Parker, did an excellent job on that highlight montage. Way to go, Cam. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. You got a chance to to uh, take in the game last night at Moody Center and uh, like what you saw? Yeah, uh, incredible seats, courtesy of Craig White. It was the first men's game I've been to. Of course, I'm at every women's home game, home yep. game with, with you and and Kathy. But uh, great environment, and the crowd lived up to the hype. Did you? Um, I, I've I've heard various and sundry people uh, tell me about uh, some of the um, how shall I put this concession amenities that are made available. The various and sundry beverage options that are there did you avail yourself of any of those the the 36 dollars shot of hennessy no <laughs> i did that, i did not really, avail myself to that. is it I really still, a 30 yeah there's uh i didn't even know that there's hennessy and then there's uh casamigos mezcal which was like 21 or 26 dollars my dad who hasn't been drinking for 25 years said if he still was drinking he would have dropped about 500 dollars last night really yeah he would have been on board with that okay all right uh so wow and and then of course they have all manner of food amenities as well i've had rave reviews come in on the uh, on shack's chicken sandwich and uh, some of the other things somebody uh the the little ice cream stand set up. There's mm-hmm. some good stuff uh, off of that as well. So uh, that's good that some folks are are able to avail themselves of that even even if you decide to pass on the thirty six dollar yeah. Hennessy shot. Okay, I didn't know about that one. Uh, hey, but it's there. You know, listen, any arena that has a Moet de Chandon suite on the corner. Uh, or on the end, you know, might offer up some things like that. So, uh, glad to have uh, glad to have you on board with us. And again, uh, Jeff will be along here in just a few moments. Obviously, we'll um, we'll uh, recap uh, the Longhorn victory. We're going to hear from Brock Cunningham. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Rodney Terry. Uh, we'll look around the Big Twelve Conference. Uh, it's now a three way tie for first place between Iowa State, Kansas State, and Texas. No, no, I know, I know. Folks just say, well, technically, Texas would be in third out of those three since they've already lost to both Iowa State and K-State. That is correct, but they also have rematch games against both of those schools. Now, they do have to go to Manhattan, and they do have Iowa State at home. Uh, and and you think of this. It's a three-way tie on top of the standings. And then you got a three-way tie one game back. You have Baylor, Kansas, TCU. And some folks would say, you know, technically, you know, a uh, uh, old friend and uh, producer John Madani uh, pointed out, he said, technically, technically, Kansas would be in sixth place in the comfort standings because they've already lost head-to-head matchups to Baylor and TCU, just like Texas had lost the head-to-head matchups to Iowa State and K-State. But again, there will be rematches with both of those schools. Baylor will have to go to Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, Kansas will have to go to Fort Worth. Texas will have to go to Fort Worth. TCU will have to go to Iowa State. Uh, Kansas State will have to go to Fort Worth, I think it is. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's still a lot of basketball. In fact, they're not even really at the numerical midway mark of conference play. That will happen after the games early next week. 
when the Longhorns play Baylor. Remember, Texas still has two games with Baylor and two games with Kansas that they have to play. They're done with Oklahoma State and swept the Cowboys, but they have two with Baylor and two with Kansas, and Monday night will be Big Monday when the Longhorns play Baylor. But prior to that, you have the step-out-of-conference play for all of the Big 12 conference schools and the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And they're, to, to me, and look, and there's some good matchups, but there are three real headline-grabbing, headliner matchups. Kansas at Kentucky, Baylor hosting Arkansas, and Texas at Tennessee. I think those are, are certainly the deal. All right. Um, uh, as always, happy to be joined by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, proud graduate, Florence High School, Always. Uh, where it was determined yesterday that he was a four-sport athlete at Florence High School. Indeed, yeah. So uh, he was—he was all that. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns twenty-four-seven. That's our man, Jeff Howe. And you were in the building last night as well to see. Yeah. That. Did you know you could get a shot of Hennessy for thirty-six bucks? I didn't know that. Cam let let me know that you get the thirty-six dollars uh, shot of Hennessy. I stick to uh, when I go to Moody. I stick to free whatever's free ninety-nine. Oh, whatever's down, got that down there in the there press going. room. Yeah, yeah. Eat that. Uh, I try not to overextend myself. Yeah, probably. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't heard your, any of your call from the game last night. I like uh, you referencing. Mike Boynton pulling over Burrow Duran at the end. Snow Moss. Snow Moss. Is it, it's, it's called off the dog. I think I said called off the dogs for uh, Bob Huggins. At that point, it's like, look, there's no point. And, and coaches do that a lot of times. They're like, at this point, forget it. You know, that's that's it. Uh, Nikki Collin did it for Baylor on Sunday when Texas had it put away. It's like, yeah, that's it. Let's hey, let's just get to the locker room. And by the way, I was looking at the SEC Big 12 Challenge schedule. Uh-huh. Which, but, you know, if you're the home team, then mm-hmm. your conference goes first. Sort of learn how that's that right. Now, works. On the nomenclature, like Texas played in the Big Twelve Big East battle because Texas hosted Creighton. That's now it's correct. SEC Big Twelve Challenge because Texas on there. How do you think Porter Moser feels right now? <sighs> like you played just this hellacious schedule. Like oh, we'll step out of conference to play non Yeah. Eat Alabama coming into your barn. There's a reason I didn't list that. That's as one awesome. Of the headliners, because if you look at it, the Sooners are pretty close to being in a free fall right now. They're really struggling, and they were absolutely blown out of the city of Fort Worth last night by TC. TCU jumped to eleven nothing lead, never looked back, and blew them out. Um, and they had lost to Oklahoma State last week in. Uh, uh, in play in uh, in Bedlam in their Bedlam series, so they're struggling, and they get second ranked Alabama. Good luck on with set. that. Is, is, the game's in Norman, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that game's in Norman. I think. And then a couple other things I'm gonna be watching out of these. TCU is playing at Mississippi State, I believe. But the Horned Frogs have been good on yes, the road. You're right about that. Uh, yeah, uh, the, they've been good on the road, and I and and I, I think they'll win that game. Uh, is it Florida at K State? I believe is is another one there. And again, I would I would think the octagon of doom will be uh, rolling there uh, for that one. You've got yes, Florida at Kansas State. Yeah, yeah. The so Keontae Johnson angle is going to be big. Yeah, it is. One. It is. And, and but do you agree with me that the, the, I think the three headline matchups are Kansas at Kentucky in no particular order, uh, Baylor hosting Arkansas, and obviously Texas at Tennessee. Yeah, you know, Iowa State-Missouri has a, a little more juice to it now than we thought it would at the start of the year. Hey, do they get to play for a telephone trophy like they did when they played in football? Remember that? In the early days of the Big 12 and going back to their Big 8 days, they played for something called the telephone trophy? No, anytime I think of trophies, like I think of uh, 
You remember the, the short-lived UConn-UCF civil oh, conflict yeah, trophy? Yeah, good. That yes. was good. Don't invent a rivalry trophy. It either is a rivalry or it is not. Now, I understand the ones in the Big Ten. You got the little brown jug and you got the keg of nails. cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like all those. The, the Floyd of Rosedale, that pig, mm-hmm. you know, Paul Bunyan's axe. Is it Cincinnati? Who's the nail keg? Is it Cincinnati mm-hmm. Louisville? Is that the nail keg? No, I thought the keg of nails was in the – I thought that was in the – oh, yeah, you may be right about that. I'm thinking Old Oak and Bucket, Indiana-Purdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you may be right about that. That one there with Cincinnati-Memphis there on that. I'll tell you what, I mean, we'll talk – got plenty of time yeah. to talk about basketball or whatever, or trophies or whatever we want to talk about. The Specs Excellent is open 337-3776. Um, looking at that SEC Big 12 Challenge outside of Texas and Tennessee, obviously, I think the game I'm most intrigued to see – at least, and I don't, I, have, I don't have start times on any of these, Craig. Arkansas at Baylor is one of those games that, you know, we've seen Baylor maybe start to get it together a little mm. bit there. They kind of go as their guards have gone. Uh, you know, Keontae George, I think, was kind of trying to find his footing. It seems like he's gotten a little more consistent later. And then Arkansas is one of those teams, Craig. We talked about them when they were here for the exhibition. Uh, that's a team that if you were going to get them, you probably wanted to get them before the turn of the calendar year because yep. at some point – those young guys were going to figure it out, and they had a chance to be really, really good. Yep. I just wonder when they're going to hit their stride. I, I, I agree. Uh, you, somebody on Specs text line said, are y'all forgetting the Big 12 goes through Lubbock, even in basketball at 0-7? Okay, you're listening to Bucky too much. <laughs> he's just living on that Joey McGuire thing. Buck's got, he's like a dog with a bone with that deal, with that going through Lubbock thing. Uh, Bucky will eventually let that go, and it has nothing to do with basketball. And, yes, the uh, Red Raiders are 0-7. And Prediction. that's not a- Cakewalk either. They go to Baton Rouge this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prediction. They get their first conference win tonight. Against West Virginia? Yeah. Is that in Lubbock? Yeah. 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 I I think Tech gets a breakthrough tonight. Uh, So, anyway. That seems like a team that could, as much as a team can, be an offer at this point. It feels like they've got a chance to maybe trend up and get themselves back on the bubble Mm -hmm. second half of conference. When they get Fardaw's AMAC going, conditioning is a big thing for him right now. And, and uh, man, I haven't seen too many guards, Craig, in this league. Granted, I haven't seen all of them yet that are better in person, that are better to, have to be better than Pop Isaacs. Yes, like I, I agree. Whew. Yeah, he is good. They But the, they're running out of time. They need yeah. to start turning this thing around or they're going to be in trouble. Same thing with West Virginia, same thing with Oklahoma, and the same thing with Oklahoma State. Yeah, They're all good enough teams to beat just about anybody any specific given day. Uh, Oklahoma should have won the game in Lawrence. Didn't. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> you were out that day, and I talked about that on the air. I said, you know, when I I was watching the game, I think Oklahoma's up six or eight with about four minutes they to were go. Up, they were up ten with four minutes yeah. to go. I get up to go to the bathroom, just number one. Oh, yeah. don't, okay. you know, Good, thank well, you. I was gone for two minutes, and I come back, and you know, McCullough's driving to the basket mm-hmm. to tie the game. I'm like, how did this thing just completely bottom out in two minutes of real time? You know, it's funny you mentioned that, and and you mentioned I was I was out the next day when you guys were recapping it. What what was happening was there was a home game that night, I think for the women, and I was driving home listening to the OU meltdown in Lawrence, and then the next morning I was out early flying with the men somewhere, so we didn't get a chance to talk about. It. But you're right, yeah, you're exactly right, and. And that might have been one of the big turning points after that, 
for for Oklahoma because they could have beaten Iowa State at home. Had certainly had a shot. Could have beat Texas. I know, well, I know that was before, but yeah, yeah, and they were right there with an opportunity. And so now they've kind of it's kind of become kind of like with Texas Tech losing a lot of winnable games. West Virginia losing several winnable games. Lost in overtime at K State. Lost at Oklahoma State. You know they're winnable games uh, there. So I don't want to get on this point too long, but you've been I've never been there. You've been there many times for Oklahoma, and we've talked about the impact that the Thunder has had on basketball attendance, not just for for OU Oklahoma State as well. Mm-hmm. The OU administration they need do they need to do something about their arena? Yeah, problem? it's it's a, it's a pretty popular topic of conversation and grumbling up north of the Red River, saying this building is substandard for SEC. Yeah, that it's not it's good. And so, and, and to make a statement like that, first thing I think you need to do is look at the buildings in the SEC, and you tell me. If the Oklahoma, if Lloyd Noble Center is better than the ones as you tick them off in the SEC, or at least on an equal footing, doesn't even have to be better, mm-hmm. just equal. Are they as good as Kentucky? Of course no. not. All right, Tennessee? No. Nope. South Carolina's arena is very nice mm-hmm. and and pretty recent. The O'Connell Center in Gainesville, Florida? Nope. Um, so they did recently did some renovations. Yep. Didn't they? Same yeah. thing with Georgia with Stegman yeah. uh, Coliseum. Nice. It's really really cool there now. LSU, no, Marriage uh, Center, yeah. yeah, it's 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 good. Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, Bud Walton, the Hump in in yeah. uh, in, uh, in 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 Starkville, uh, the brand new arena in Oxford a couple of years ago. Reed Arena in College Station, better building. Maybe Alabama, Alabama's, uh, that's but been even a, Coleman Coliseum's been done a little bit. And Auburn's arena is a new arena and a good arena. I know as uh, NATO climbs the list of hot candidates for mm-hmm. air quotes bigger jobs, right. I've heard from some Alabama folks the arena conversation in Tuscaloosa yep. continues to be at the forefront. The, their arena is a lot like Georgia's before they did their renovation, the gotcha. Stegman. So, uh, and then Missouri, that's a nice arena. That's, uh, what, 20-ish years old, something like 15? 15, I think. You know what I remember about that? You remember what it was originally called? No. It, this might Missouri fans cringe a little bit. It was originally called the Page Arena, P-A-I-G-E, or like Page Center, Page Arena, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. The Page was one of the heiresses, whatever, to the Walton fortune. Come to find out that she paid people to take tests for her so she could get her degree. <laughs> so they quietly removed her name. They could the have building. named it after uh, former Chiefs receiver Stephon Page, yeah, could or yeah. you know yeah. former Dolphins running back Tony Page. Right, didn't happen that way. Oh. So they they kind of quietly took her name off, and I think it went back to being Mizzou Arena or something like that. So that 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 was so what like that whole Enron Field business. Yeah. Houston went through. Yeah, but it's a but it's a it's a really nice building. It's it's one of those that has a little bit of that Banker's Life field house in Indianapolis feel where the the sun's coming through a little bit on it. It's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a nice building. It's a very nice building. So and Vanderbilt is old and weird and quirky, but it's historic. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like Lloyd Noble's pro it's gotta be I mean, I I haven't been to Lloyd Noble. You've been to the Farrell Center. I think either mm-hmm. one of those two or maybe Schollmeyer at the in the bottom tier of Big Twelve arenas. 
Uh, well, showmeyer has been redone. It's right. nice. The right. problem is that it, people hate the floor because <laughs> it just has that weird optical yeah. look to it on that. But they've done a nice job with that with that arena there. Farrell Center's improved a lot over it, the years. It too. is, and this is the last year of it. Oh, is it really? The new building opens across the freeway next year, seven thousand seat arena. Uh, it, you know, and and uh, you know, I know. Uh, they're going to have a practice facility over there. Kim Mulkey wasn't especially happy with the decision to put it there. She thought it should have been back the other side of the Ferrell Center toward LaSalle mm-hmm. Avenue. But the university likes the front porch look of it off I-35, just like yeah. McLean Stadium. Can't blame them for that. No. So it's on the opposite side of the freeway. Uh, over there by that administration building and all that. And their work is already well underway. They expect it to be ready at least by conference play next year, if not sooner. going to be about 7,000 seats. So they're gonna, But the Farrell Center, you know, they've redone some things to it, and it's nice. I was thinking about it uh, when I went in the other day to do the women's game, and, of course, my last opportunity to call a game in there will be when the men go in there in February. And I was thinking about the first time I went in there. It was the first year it was open, like I think 88, 88, 89, or something like that. And SMU's playing Baylor. Brad Cham's doing the play-by-play for SMU. And that year, uh, both 87, 88, and 88, 89, I was the swing analyst for SMU and TCU. Chuck Cooper's team was doing TCU. Brad Cham was doing SMU. And so I was doing I was doing color. It's a hell of a list of for them. folks doing Southwest Conference basketball games. I know. George Dunham was involved in it, too. So we were all like these swing analysts on this. So we're doing the game in Waco. And to get to a point in the game, John Shoemate is the coach at SMU. And if anybody's seen John Shoemate, big tall dude, of course, played at Notre Dame. Is this uh, Michael Williams, uh, Baylor era? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, Daryl Middleton. Yeah. I think didn't Michael Williams once upon a time have the NBA record for a career free throw percentage? Might have had or that. consecutive free yeah. throws made, one or the other. So Gene, so, uh, Gene Ibas, the coach at Baylor. Now, Gene is only slightly taller than that mic stand. <laughs> Gene is a Gene is a, he, 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 not a real tall dude, and then you got Shoemate who's six nine, and there comes a point in the game, and both of them had pretty fiery personalities. It comes a point in the game where there is a dispute over something with the officials, as there invariably was in the Southwest Conference, and they're kind of barking. Both head coaches are barking at, at the officials, and then a couple of players, one for SMU and one for Baylor, start kind of barking at one another. And then the two head coaches kind of walk toward the midcourt area to get their players away, and they start barking at each other. And you got Shoemate, who's you know much taller than Gene Ivey's barking at, and Brad Cham says on the air, "This is like watching a Doberman go after a Chihuahua <laughs> at one point because they were just rah, 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 rah. that. That's where I thought about it. It was the first time I'd ever been in there in the Farrell Center. Called many a high school game in there, many a Texas men's and women's game in there. But this is the last year of it. They'll they'll move into the new building at least by conference play." next year and then somebody points out on the specs text line and, the, and a lot of this goes hand in hand oklahoma is also having issues with attendance due to the location well that location's been there since 1975 but it's when the Damn, building that building's opened, that old 1975 yeah so um you know that yes the thunder has had a lot to do with the damaging of attendance on every intercollegiate sport in the state of Oklahoma, other than Oklahoma football, and and, and maybe you can make a case for Oklahoma State football. But that's about it. Oklahoma uh, softball. 
Yeah, well, the, so well that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. Well, and but that facility's small enough where right. it can sell out, but pretty easily. But in an eleven thousand seat arena, which is what Lloyd Noble is, well, I mean, we were surprised that there were like seven thousand there for that for that uh, game on New Year's Eve when Texas played OU because attendance has so sharply dropped off there, and yeah, there hasn't been much. Lipstick put on that pig, and so there's not a there's not much in the way that the arena it has its issues. Would it just be polishing a turd at this point? Well, you know what? I, I, I kind of have some fond memories there because I worked a lot of concerts there in the early '80s. I worked the police there. Oh, hawking t-shirts. I, yeah, absolutely. I, I worked the police. I worked Foreigner, that Foreigner Four tour in '81. I worked. Um, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, uh, Hank Williams Jr. Nice. Had a big payday that night, Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Uh, uh, ZZ Top uh, worked a lot of uh, shows at the old Lloyd Noble Center. Journey, three shows in the Frontier Store of 1983. By the way, you headed to see Journey when they come to uh, the Moody Center? Next no, month? are you going to make it over there? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't, uh, probably Have you had your journey, probably. Phil? I've, I've seen enough Journey to last a lifetime. A lifetime's journey, to put it that way. Anyway, point being... That building has had its issues, uh, and attendance has fallen off, and a large measure do a lot to the Now, the Thunder have done an awful lot for downtown Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City itself. I mean, the city has grown. Uh, the restaurant, hotel, and bar scene is really stepped up big time in Oklahoma City. But the unintended consequence is that intercollegiate athletics has really taken a hit. Well, you talked about Bricktown as a facility for the Big 12 baseball tournament just not being... Oh, suitable anymore. No, no, and the ballpark's an eyesore now. It's just, it's just not good. So, so that doesn't, that doesn't help any either. So, uh, somebody said, didn't Shoemate sprain a finger or two of Coach Penders during an after-game handshake? I have to ask Eddie Orton about that. I think I do kind of remember, remember that. And somebody said, do I remember the Lubbock Coliseum? Yeah, I remember it. The old bubble, absolutely. Some memorable games in the bubble. Darvin Ham throwing it down in there. He did. Yeah. He did. Hey, speaking of uh, 90s basketball players, did you see who was at the game last night? Saw him in the uh, – Well, Terrence Wrencher was there. Terrence Wrencher was there, yeah. <laughs> He's on the staff of Oklahoma, so he came over and talked to us. Uh, I'm in the uh, – I go down to get me something to drink before the I game. I told him, I said, T, you're still number one. He's still the, he's still the all-time <laughs> leading scorer in Texas, 2,306 points, I think it is. There's a uh, there's a rather tall gentleman in the uh, getting eaten the media meal, and I'm like, we're trying to figure out who is that. So finally said Golden asks who it is. How about Dickie Simpkins from the second three Pete Bulls was in the house last okay. night? He's a scout for NBA the scout. Yeah, there you go. There you see a lot of I'm waiting for the day, and I've told Eddie Orton this, because Eddie, of course, is a, a scout for the Brooklyn Nets. So Eddie runs in those circles. He knows all those guys. Yeah. He sees all those guys. And I told him, because I missed out on my chance uh, back a year or so ago, to completely fanboy on Bob McAdoo. And I told oh. him, Eddie... I said, you know, and, and Bob's still working, so very active as a scout. I said, if he comes back in, I said, I got to meet him. I said, he had his one year at Carolina where he went to the Final Four, 1972. Great player, Hall of Famer. You know, yeah. he had some great numbers. If you look, his, his career was largely lost as he was toiling in obscurity for the Buffalo Braves in the NBA, even though they reached a couple of Eastern Conference Finals. Had the Bullets down 3-1. They were so close to going to an NBA Finals, and and it didn't happen. But he got his ring, 
with the Lakers. Yep. Showtime Lakers. That's one of my favorite Laker teams, the 82 Lakers team. Uh, that, that that one I really really liked. That was yeah. that was still uh, that was still Norm Nixon. That was pre uh, Byron Scott. But of course you had Magic and you had Kareem and you had Worthy. Um, and so um, actually it was pre Worthy. This would have been nineteen eighty yeah eighty one eighty two season. Worthy didn't join till the next year. But but it had Bob McAdoo on that. His nephew will be in Austin this upcoming baseball season, Craig, because he plays for San Jose State University. So maybe Bob will be in town for that. Hey, there you go. Dynamite drop go. in, Cameron. That's and by the way, you brought that up about San Jose State. Do you know when they're playing Texas baseball? Because I know I do know. I'll tell you the answer because it's unique. They're playing a weekend series against the Longhorns, coming off final exam weekend, which Texas huh. has historically not really done. They might play a Saturday doubleheader against a SWAC opponent in the past, but they're playing a full weekend series that open date weekend, what normally is an open date. It's an open date on the Big 12 schedule. It's yeah. the next to last weekend of the regular season. And so I told Linda, I said, no trip to, uh, no weekend, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, swing to Vegas uh, this year or wherever. There was another place we went last year. So, sorry. There's baseball to call. So you would fan, you also you told the story about how you almost fanboyed over Sandy Koufax. Almost you would over Bob McAdoo. Yeah, well, and the the difference between those two is that I was getting ready to go on the air, right, to do a Final Four broadcast, and so that was tugging at me. If it had been thirty minutes <laughs> earlier and I'd seen that, oh yeah, I would have been all. I've over. only fanboyed twice on the in all the years I've done this. I've only done it twice. Yeah. Nolan Ryan, and David Robinson. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But I would, and, and I, I told Eddie, I said, I won't embarrass myself, but I have to do. I, I said, I, if nothing else, to make my older brother jealous because he loved Bob McAdoo as much as I did. You know, on that <laughs> when I was uh, when I was down in Florida for the Under Armour game one year. Joe Montana's son was playing it, and he's walking the practice field. He's like, oh, my God, Joe Montana. I'm like, why do I give a rat's ass if Joe Montana's here or not? I could <laughs> I could not have cared less. Well, the, 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 the respect you would have for him, right? No, I hate Joe Montana. <laughs> I understand. I understand. He ruined Rudy. Like, just let me suspend my disbelief, don't. Okay, the reason I'm not a Joe Montana fan is because I'm a Rams fan, okay? I have a real thing. You're, you're mad at Joe Montana because of a movie? 100%. Okay. All right. All right. 100%. Uh, okay. All right. In my uh, all-time quarterback rankings, I'll have Elway and Marino over Montana forever. Yeah. Until the day I depart this mortal world. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, we got to hit a break. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, we do have our Longhorn Notebook coming up. We're going to hear from Brock Cunningham. We're going to hear from Rodney Terry. We've got a lot of basketball to get to. Uh, we'll get to more of your your uh, uh, text on the Specs text line at 337-3776. It is indeed a Wednesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live local and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Oh, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, a little journey work in there. A little separate ways. You ever seen basketball, Craig? Yes. Been a while, but I saw you it. You know when they're doing the psychouts? I'm like, Steve Perry. Yeah. Steve Perry. I'm like, dude, no more journey psychouts. Yeah. That's true. Absolutely. Stoner says that uh, Montana stood up and told the truth in the face of scrutiny of Jeff and millions of others. 
a Rudy truther, Mr. Howe. I don't like him overall either, but that move legendary. F him, dude. <laughs> I'm out on Joe Montana. <laughs> okay. All right. I and in, in my power rankings of celebrities, I do have Joe Montana higher than Joe Montana. I like Joe Montana. I always did. He's excellent in Criminal Minds. He's a big fan of that show. You know Joey re- Zaza and you know they re- uh, Godfather Part Three. You know they rebooted that for uh, Paramount Plus. Did they? There's a new Criminal Mind series. Yeah. Okay. Drop like swear words in it now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, David Rossi uncensored now. Uh, uh, Seamhead Girl, former, formerly known as Female Listener 19, says, I went years not liking the 49ers because of my dislike of Joe Montana. I was at the 78 Cotton Bowl in the Longhorn Band when he and Notre Dame beat Texas for the de facto national title. I cried all the way home on the bus, not the only one. But since I disowned the Cowboys with the firing of Tom Landry, I found I changed my fandom every few years. With Shano... Okay, are you, are you, you're hanging out with Rod too much if you're calling him <laughs> Shano. Okay, with Shano coaching the 49ers, I overcome my dislike related to Montana playing for them. Go 49ers. I would imagine there are a lot of Cowboy fans who, while not liking the 49ers, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Jeff, could get with the 49ers winning this week because of their ultimate hatred for all I, things Philadelphia. I would rather the 49ers win then I I, the, I don't know if I could stomach seeing the Philadelphia Eagles win another Super Bowl well first things first the Cowboy fans one was one too many Cowboy fans and for that matter it could be Ram fans or Giant fans or whatever these NFC fans what you do is you just root forever whoever wins that AFC title game, you know. I'm looking on the NFL Network. There's Melissa Etheridge. She's like the number one Kansas City Chiefs fan, you know. And 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 uh, and and so yeah, you can get with Mahomes, you know, and the Chiefs, or you can get with Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I know we got to get to the notebook. We got to get some basketball, but I was thinking about this in relation to Joe Burrow. Like we talk about the quarterbacks Texas is facing. Yep. I was thinking about that 2019 LSU game. Yep. Like you know, in addition to Joe Burrow, that Texas secondary. They got torched that night and didn't have a great year, but they were probably facing that night two guys right now who you can argue are probably the two best receivers in the NFL right now. Yeah, yeah. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Yeah, yeah. Pretty doggone good. Puts puts things in perspective. It does indeed. Uh, it's time to put our Longhorn Notebook into perspective. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. It's a Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock. The home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. See if Aaron can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that was to help us get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, the person who can make that 10-day home loan approval guarantee, or less than 10 days, a reality. Check her out on the web at BowersockTeam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, just like it sounds, BowersockTeam.com. Before you get to the audio for Hoops last night from the win over Oklahoma State, uh, I asked Mike Boynton about it in the post game. I asked Rodney Terry, Marcus Carr, and and Mike Boynton said he thought it was the difference in the game. Oklahoma State cut it to three with three and a half minutes to go in the first half. Then over the last two minutes, Texas scores five unanswered to going into the half, and they scored those first five points coming out of the locker room. Mike Boynton said he felt like that was the difference in the game. And Rodney Terry, you know, we've talked about how the the strides this team has taken in terms of being able to close people out. And he said the next the next step in that is in, in dominating for forty minutes is we kind of like we talk about the middle eight in football. 
It's not that much different for college basketball. That last four-minute game of the first half, basically from whenever the last media timeout hits to the end of the half, and then coming out of the locker room until that first media timeout of the second half, he said, we've got to win that last four-minute game of the first half and that first four-minute game of the second half. They did that last night, and Oklahoma State, I don't think they got closer than, what, eight, Craig? Eight was as close as they could get. Uh, Eddie Orn has a phrase for it. He said, coaches use it a lot. Don't make me be the first one to call a timeout in the second half. That's I never heard it put that way. That's great. Yeah. Don't make me be the one to have to call the first time out in the second half. And that didn't happen. You're right. It was 35 32. Longhorn scored the final five of the first half. They're up eight. First five of the second half. They don't look back. Oklahoma State cut it to eight, I think, five or six times yeah. in the second half. But they couldn't get closer. And some of that brought Cunningham at a big three. Uh, uh, Tyrese Hunter hit a big three. Marcus Carr hit a big three. Uh, there was uh, Timmy the, Allen had a three-point play. I think that was yeah. in that sequence where he catches it real quick from Tyree, spins baseline, and hits that follow-up jumper. Love that baseline yeah. thing where they, they fade away and got that fouled and then hit the free throw as well. So all of that was a part of it. And, and after the game, visiting with uh, Rodney Terry to talk about it. And, and let me also say this, too, and we'll, we'll hear from Brock Cunningham in a bit, but I thought a critical point in the game came when within two minutes of one another – on the scoreboard clock in the second half, Dylan DeSue and Christian Bishop each picked up their fourth foul. Brock Cunningham at that point, you know, dude, it's on your shoulders to continue to do what you do, you know, play hard and on defense. But to become the offensive uh, thrust that he became, a career-high 15 points, a career-high three three-pointers made, hit two big free throws. Uh, Eddie mentioned at one point, you know, because he's always had that interesting release on the shot. And he drained both. He went into last night's game shooting 87% from the foul line. And he was 4-for-4 four four in conference play from the foul line. Now he's 6-for-6 six for six in conference play. So all of that a part of what we visited about when I visited with uh, Rodney Terry, the Longhorns interim head coach, after the game. The tenacity, I think, that your guys showed. Uh, in building the 8-point halftime lead and never letting it drop below 8. Every time they made a run, you had an answer for them. Well, again, you know, Mike's done a great job with his group, and they're, they're playing really, really well together right now, especially shooting the basketball. I mean, they had four threes at the half, and for us that was a, that was a key in the game. We needed to try to hold those guys to five or less threes. Uh, we knew that they were they were shooting the ball so much better right now. Uh, but uh, our guys came out, they guarded hard. We tried to make them take tough twos and take away their threes and tried to rebound the ball. There were a lot of key factors in the game. I want to ask you about one. How important was it? Not only when when uh, Christian and Dylan got picked up their fourth fouls to have Brock be able to eat minutes, but for him to be productive, a career high in points, field goals made, three points made, not only for him to take up some time, but to add to the effort. And Brock's been fantastic all year long. You know, uh, you know he's going to bring a competitive edge to the floor uh, defensively and what he does on that end of the floor, but he's worked extremely hard on his offense and shooting the basketball. He puts a ton of time in, and, you know, you're just seeing all the, re- the results of what, what, he's, you know, what he's doing when, when the lights are not on. Rodney, when you play a team twice and sometimes three times, how much changes do you make or do they make? And I'm not, I don't want you to give your secrets away, but how much changes are made from the time you played them last time, did you see any difference out there in the game in Stillwater tonight? No, absolutely. They're, they're playing smaller, and they're putting more shooters on the floor than they did when we were playing down in Stillwater. They played big, and they had, uh, I believe they had 12 block shots in the first game down there, but, but because they had their big guys in there that could protect the rim for them. But uh, they, they've been shooting the ball. They, they added uh, – 
you know, Woody in the line up there and stuff. He's a guy that can stretch the floor at the four spot. So they were essentially playing four guards out there and really shooting the basketball and playing faster in transition. So transition defense was big for us tonight. Taking threes away was big for us tonight and and trying to sit down and foul us, play without fouling and rebound the ball. Roddy, here's another number, and it's a weird number, but I think it's big as well. Your team turned the ball over 18 times. They turned it over 16 but you outscored them in the points off the turnovers, 20 to 11. So there, it seemed like there was a real renewed effort, even after a turnover, not to give up points on the opposite end. No, absolutely. Anytime you have some adversity, you're not going to play perfect. And, and by any stretch, we don't want 18 turnovers. We have 15 in the first game with those guys. And you know, our goal always is to try to have 10 or less. Uh, but but when you do, you have to get back and still get your defense set and continue to play. You have to have a short memory, get to the next play. And uh, I, I think our guys, are, you know, they're, they're getting better as the season goes along with that. But, you know, we turn it over, short memory, quick recovery, get back, make a play. Schedule is what it is. That said, is it? do you look at it as a relief, even though Coach Barnes has an outstanding team and you step out of conference and play the number four team in the country on the road? Do you take a break from the, the grind of conference play? Is it a good measuring stick? How do you view this SEC Big 12 Challenge game coming up on Saturday? Well, I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, you know, um, you know, we, we feel like we play in the best basketball conference in the country in the Big 12. You know, uh, Coach Barnes has done a great job with the Tennessee program. T- have so much respect for him and and uh, how they do their business over there and uh, it's going to be a great college day game over there. It's going to be a you know college game days there. It's going to be a prime time game. You got two two really good I think defensive teams. Uh, they, they're the best defensive team in the country right now. Um, you know we played one of the top ten defenses tonight. I think they're like seventh. Uh, Oklahoma State, so um, and we scored 89 points. So we got to do a great job of taking care of the ball and trying to tackle on our terms, and we got to be an extremely connected team uh, to go over and compete in a hostile environment. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing there that uh, uh, to step out of conference in, in midseason. I, I grew up in basketball country, so in North Carolina, and they used to do that in February. There was Texas, I mean North Carolina or Duke would play a St. John's. Uh, or Syracuse, which is now a conference game. Carolina beat Syracuse last night. Somebody asked, uh, uh, in fact, it was uh, Ice Cream Maine who asked, what did y'all think of the uh, Marcus Carr flop call? Uh, it's like, Garbage. It's like virtually every other flop call that's going to be made uh, this season. It's going to be a judgment call, and when you have judgment calls with officials, it, it, there's going to be some that is, you're going to go, really? I, I thought... I didn't even think there was real con- – I thought he just lost his balance when he fell back. The, it's supposed to be a point of emphasis, and whenever there's a point of emphasis with officiating, there, there's going to be calls that are going to make people uh, very unhappy about yeah, that. that crew got a little whistle-happy last night. Doug Sermons is a guy who um, – how do I say this? Gives no Fs. <laughs> He well, then. he will not brook opposition. That is a guy who takes command of games. That's a guy who teed up Bill Self the night before in Waco. Oh, okay. He's but he's also a really good official. Now, he's not the one who made the the flop call. That was Tony Padilla who did that. Um, but uh, he's sermons is going to make sure he has control and command of the game that it doesn't get out of hand. And a lot of times it's a good thing. Uh, but but it, he also can rub people the wrong way, 
and he can get real demonstrative. He did at one point about some stuff, so he can uh, about that. So somebody asked if Rowan Brumbaugh is hurt or redshirting. The answer is redshirting. Redshirt. Uh, it's redshirting. I mean, when you think about the, the guards they already have, Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, Jabari Rice, uh, Arterio Morris. This is tough for Terrio to get. Yeah, minutes right I mean, now. Gavin Perryman was has played in eight ball games, but can't get any more minutes right now because of the way the rotation is going. So that's why they're redshirting him. Uh, they're not redshirting Brock Cunningham. Brock is a, a grad student. He's in the advertising school. He even has one more year of eligibility after this year if if he chooses to use it as he works toward his master's degree in uh, advertising. And uh, Brock had such a big effort last night. Uh, the the career high fifteen points. The uh, three made three-pointers, a first for him as well. Uh, He has knocked down, he's now shooting 88% from the line after being around 50% his first couple of years. Eddie Orrin made the comment during the game. He said, that guy has been in the gym working late at night when nobody's watching. And he's worked really hard on it. So uh, Brock was another guy we visited with after the game to uh, get his thoughts on this Texas victory and, in specific, his performance. When were you first made aware that you had a career high in points tonight with points 15? Uh, after the game, one of the coaches pointed it out to me. <laughs> so it didn't occur to you during the game? No, no, it was a tight game. Tight game had to focus on the win. Well, that's true. Now, I, and I wanted to ask you about this because key moment in the game in the second half, Dylan gets his fourth foul, Christian gets his fourth foul, and you go right back out there and you play 24 minutes. Is it in your mind to do things different than your normal game because your offensive game, when the team needed it, really stepped up. No, it's just whatever the team needs at that moment. Um, you know, the Christian and Dylan got the got the fourth foul, and then I had to go in and fill in at the five. So it wasn't anything special, just doing my role within the team. And then the three threes. Three threes. Good players around me. Only reason they have to respect everyone around me. Marcus made or. Tyrese, Tyrese made the good pass on that last one. It's just you got to respect the guys around me, and that's why I got open. Eddie also pointed out, I mean, when you came into the game tonight, you were shooting 87% from the line and perfect in Big 12 play. He said, that guy spent a lot of time when nobody else has been around in the gym shooting free throws. Is that true? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. I, I, what goes through your mind when you're putting in all those hours working on free throws and three-point shooting? I'm thinking about the big moment. Every free throw is a game-winning free throw when I'm practicing. So when, so when the game comes, I'm ready for it. Uh, are you uh, ready for a break in Big 12 play to get ready for this trip over to Knoxville? I don't know if it's a break going over to play those guys, but excited to go play a good team and a good atmosphere over in Tennessee. He's a good dude. Uh, like somebody said, God bless Brock Cunningham. Uh, he's, he's shooting 88% from the foul line. Uh, in Big 12 play, he's a perfect 1,000% six for six. Three-point shooting, Brock Cunningham is shooting 44% overall beyond the arc, 16 for 36. In Big 12 games, Brock is shooting 50% from three-point range. He's seven out of 14. So, uh, and, and the Longhorns last night shot, what, eight of 13 from three-point range? They were selective, and when they put them up, they made yeah, them. Yeah, I noticed that uh Let's see that. Eight of 13. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Chris. Yeah, they, they made them when they had to. Four for six that. in the second half. Yeah. Uh, somebody said, what about the missed traveling call on Avery Anderson when he lost the ball at the rim and passed it to himself? The ball never touched the rim or board. I looked immediately. The officials, I think uh, I think it was Padilla, was it could have been Burt Smith. Burt Smith blew his whistle one time in the night, and that was to call a fourth foul, I think, on the on Bishop. But but. Um, uh, the, the call was he juggled his hands to say the ball had gotten knocked out of his hands, therefore it was not a travel. 
That was the official's call. We'd be here all day if we broke down the borderline calls in that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so somebody said flop calls should only be called on the defensive player. Shooters lose their balance sometimes and fall. Ridiculous to call it on the shot maker. I agree with Longhorn Bear. I, that, it happened pretty close to us where it happened looking to my left. He was probably 10, 15 feet away from me. It looked like he just lost his balance on the step because he does that step back and that fadeaway, yeah. and it happens there. All right, so there's our uh, Longhorn Notebook for this hour. Coming up, we'll have Inconceivable. We continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Here's what we got for you today. Inconceivable is Derek Cohen giving me this stack of football cards to go through, and there being two Joe Montana cards in here. <laughs> See, I know you hate Joe Montana, but Joe Montana's currency, my friend. You know what kind of currency? I don't. I mean, wouldn't you say a Joe Montana card would be worth something? Not to me, it's not. That's not what I asked you. What What will this Joe Montana card fetch on the market? Those, a dollar or two. Okay. All right. But they'll look better on a dartboard in my office. All right. What if you were offered a Joe Montana rookie card? No. No? Okay. There are two players, Craig, that I two athletes that I cannot have their cards in my possession because yeah. it goes against every fiber of my being. Yeah? Joe Montana yeah. and Albert Pujols. Can't do it. Can't what, what do it. What do you got against the machine? As an Astros fan, how many times did oh, Pujols knock okay. one to the moon? Okay. He so, broke Brad Lidge. So does that mean I, as a Dodger fan, am supposed to bar, get receipt of any Altuve card forever? Well, you pretty much do that to Jose Altuve anyway. So I told you, I moved on. <laughs> I moved on. I, 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 I didn't say I forgave. I just it said, well, I forgive, but I don't forget. We're going to talk Baseball know. Hall of Fame in the next segment, too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Um, okay. Speaking of things of, of, of currency... I don't know if you heard about this, and we've we've had this conversation before, but I'm trying to remember where you stand on Taylor Swift. It, n- neither fish nor fowl. Okay. Me. What about you, Cam? Where are you with Taylor Swift? Yeah, indifferent. Okay. Uh, apparently, Congress is not indifferent. <laughs> not when it comes to uh, Taylor Swift and tickets for. Oh, is this is this the Ticketmaster? When they thing? hauled them up. Yeah. They're there before the Senate. They grilled the top executive from Ticketmaster's parent company, Live Nation Entertainment, yesterday after their inability to process order for Taylor Swift's upcoming tour, which left millions of people unable to buy tickets late last year. During that three-hour hearing, senators pressed Live Nation President and CEO Joe Berkdold and some other witnesses on whether his company was too dominant in the industry, thereby harming rivals, musicians, and fans. I think Chad Hastings was caught up in that cluster. Oh, yeah, that's right. Couldn't get to the, the deal. That's yeah. right, because of the snafu. I love this quote from Senator Richard Blumenthal. I want to congratulate and thank you for an absolutely stunning achievement, he told the CEO. You have brought together Republicans and Democrats in an absolutely unified cause. Yeah, they're all mad. Cause can't can't you guys get on the same page for something a little more important than Taylor Swift tickets? Yeah, that's that's that was what usually plea. happens yeah. after that. Yeah. Um, so it it was that uh, tour. You're that, working together. That's the old Chris Rock bit. I'm not going to give you credit for things you're supposed to do. Yeah, right. 
Uh, heavy demand snarled up the ticket site uh, it, it, back in November. It infuriated fans who couldn't get tickets. And unable to resolve the problems, Ticketmaster subsequently canceled Swift's concert ticket sales to the general public, citing extraordinarily high demands on ticketing systems and insufficient ticket inventory to meet the demand. They were blaming it on the bots, uh, obviously. Uh, he said, we were hit with three times the amount of bot traffic than we've ever experienced. And amid the unprecedented demand for uh, Taylor Swift tickets. So, yeah, they they were holed up before the magistrate before that. Meanwhile, other things that got people. You hear about the payroll glitch for Kroger? No. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, Milton in office space where they fixed the glitch. Well, they have a new payroll system that delayed or shortchanged thousands of workers of their pay, according to the union in multiple lawsuits. It's the nation's largest supermarket chain. Is it really? Yeah. Huh. Operate nearly 2,800 stores under the Kroger, Fred Meyer, and other banners. They activated a new computer system last year that's been plagued by glitches. And after months of persistent problems, its largest union said in late December it had filed multiple grievances and complaints and urged Kroger to reimburse workers. Ah, uh, the airing fix. of grievances. There was the airing of grievances and said, fix this. You guys are... Not on it. You guys know. Speaking of fixing stuff, um, it's generally accepted that a lot of people lost their jobs during the pandemic. Right. Right? And there was a lot of loss in income right. during the pandemic. No question about it. But was there $45 billion lost in unemployment? The U.S. government says, we think not. But a new government report released this week verified at least $4.3 billion in fraudulent unemployment claims during the pandemic, and the total could be 10 times that amount or more. Dude. According to a request, the staff poured over federal and state workforce agency findings. They said that unemployment insurance fraud topped at least $4.3 billion and no less than $45 billion in unemployment insurance payments had some indication of potential fraud. If you committed white-collar crime during the pandemic, I don't care what it was. We're just getting the cauldron ready for you. This probably isn't white-collar crime. Cameron, you know about the cauldron? Got to boil people in oil, sell their fat for soap. That's a Jeff Howells It's got to happen sometimes. Interesting. Um... Uh, this isn't white-collar crime, but it is crime that has the supermarket chains worried. Shopping carts are disappearing from the stores. Um, uh, the, the, the abandoned shopping carts have been a scourge to neighborhoods. Thousands of shopping carts are being taken from big retailers like Walmart and Target and then the supermarket chains as well. Can I guess what they're doing with them? Taking them to the scrap heap to try to get money for them? Could be, or just loading their personal items or in Or taking them. them to the parking lot of your apartment complex to play jousting at yeah. the, all hours of the yeah. night? Yeah, it, it could be that. And finally, <laughs> there's a city in France. Oh, man. It's in northern France. Beautiful city there. Been through it before. They've been trying to locate a 19th century painting, which was lost during World War One which it may believe was then stolen and later had been sold two or three times. They found it. You know who has it? Madonna. <laughs> Madonna's got the painting. And they're saying, uh, 
I don't need that bad. Well, but they don't really have a legal claim to it. Right. So what they're saying is, can we borrow it? They're asking Madonna, can we borrow the painting and put it on display for a while? I got something about that on the other side, by the way. Okay. All right. We'll do that. Uh, yeah, there was no response yet from Madonna whether she might loan it to him. We got hour number two of Light the Tower coming up here. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and hornfm.com.